This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Basically. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, and with me today in studio is Hilary from Morris Leahy Wade Solicitors. This is not something that I have requested for my own personal uh, for my own personal information, but it is something that has come to me a couple of times actually from listeners, from followers, and it is about how to how to get a divorce, how to legally dismantle a marriage, and it is something that I think a lot of people not necessarily maybe want to know for their own interests or for their own process but just out of interest like how difficult is it we have had some changes to divorce law in this country um in the last decade or two decades and so uh just going to find out about the process hillary thank you so much for joining me delighted to be here stephanie thanks so uh, the first thing nobody gets married to get divorced so i get that so when people are in a marriage and they go through difficulties then and they become you know, I suppose, drift apart or whatever, then they wonder about how they can get out of their marriage. But naturally, people don't go formal and get formal about their lives. You know, they come to me when there has been this, they've drifted apart. They Do generally people come to you together or like would just no. one person come and say, like, I want a divorce, but the other person doesn't? Do both yeah. people have to want it? Well... <laughs> Well, they can delay it. The other person can delay it, but they can't stop it because we're you're constitutionally entitled to a divorce. Okay. But no, they wouldn't come together because they realise that they're now going to have you know separate interests. So they would have separate very, solicitors. Yes. Okay. So they'd come to me for a consultation, and I go through the process of it. And I suppose we have evolved in Ireland of our process because we weren't allowed to get divorced for so long until 1996. So we had, I suppose, the Irish solution to the Irish problem. So we had a a separation agreement, which worked for a while, but it only worked if there was agreement. If there's no agreement, there's no agreement. And then it moved into judicial separation and now we have divorce. And so the more common ways of getting separated formally is through the court system, which is the judicial separation and divorce. And divorce has been simplified even more in the last couple of years because the living apart qualification has moved from four years to two years. Okay, so talk to me about the difference, first of all, between judicial separation and divorce. So you must be, to qualify for judicial separation, you must be one year living separate and apart no prospect of reconciliation and proper provision has to be made for all parties. Now, you can get separately or judicially separated if there has been adultery or if it would be unreasonable for you to continue living with that person because of violence or other behaviour that is. And in that case, do you still have to be living apart for a year? Yes, but you can be living apart in the same house. Okay. And it just means that you're living separately, you're not intimate, you're doing your own cooking, washing, and socialising, you're not socialising together. So that's because of, I suppose, financially, it's very difficult to move to, to, to move two households and yes, yeah. to run two households. So people are living separately in the one house. And that's what we need to figure out. It's, it's really who's going where with what. That's what family law is really about with a whole pile of emotion involved. So with the judicial separation, do you have to do that? For, like, would you do that instead of a divorce or you do that like before a divorce? So I, I find now because of the, the change in the law from t- from four years to two years for divorce, a lot of people are just going for a divorce now. So they're trying to get their agreement done and then they'll go in on a consent divorce. So they could go to mediation first. I always recommend everybody goes to mediation because we have a free service in Ireland. Now, because it's free, it's, you know, jam packed and it's, it, there's lots of um, waiting lists, long waiting lists, but there is private mediation and that's worth exploring because you're in the same room and you know what the issues are. And if that works out brilliant, then you can go to your solicitor with a mediated agreement that can then be put into terms of settlement to be ruled as a divorce. So, so it's not the protracted, lengthy, acrimonious thing that it can be you know and so in a divorce uh, say you've been married 
um, do you have to have been living separately or can you do the like living separately in the house as well? Oh yes, absolutely. For divorce. Same okay. for divorce. Yeah, so that's the two years, two out of the last four years. So say I decide... Two, I, two out of the last three years, I beg your Two out of the last three years. So say I um, decide I want to get a divorce. We both agree this isn't working. We're going to get a divorce. How does it so so then I go to you and I look look, will you be my solicitor? He's gonna find a different solicitor. And then we go to mediation. What is the pro like what are we trying to work out in mediation? Is it the who gets what? Yes. So who's going where with what? Uh, but it depends if you've got children and if there are children, if they are in uh, still in dependency, which is eighteen or if in full time education, twenty three. So you have to figure out what financial implications arise from that and if the children are younger who's going to get access and when and they can be very heated discussions so when people come to me first I always say go off and do the mediation and if it works out come back to me with the the agreement and if it doesn't come if it doesn't work out you can still come back to me but I just think it's a more it's a better way of doing things and it's more cost effective because these can be expensive you know to to just to try and if, if you can do it in a free space isn't that brilliant you know if someone wants like if, if one parent wants all the access and 60% of the money like what's reason like is there is there a sort of a baseline of like well no now you're being completely unreasonable or that a judge or that a solicitor or someone would be like like what's the well, where what's do you start well the the first thing to know is that nobody would know your kids better than you would so it's much better that you would try and agree something between yourselves. If you can't, then there are reports that can be ordered by the court to figure out the issue of access or what is between you. And from experience, I know that there has been that overnight access becomes problematic, especially if there is third parties involved or something. It can be just a hugely contentious issue. someone has a a new partner or... Yeah. yeah. And where are they staying? And maybe financially, the the person that's out of the family home can't afford, uh, you know, two bedrooms. Yeah, so there might be house sharing. So that mightn't be ideal. So that sort of stuff needs to be worked out. And if it can't be worked out, then the courts can order a a report from a child psychologist usually. And they would meet with the family and see what's at issue and what they would recommend. And the courts are very influenced by these reports. But again, they are private reports and add to the expense of it. So again, not to keep going on, but that's why agreement is much better. But family law is emotive. And I always say you never make great decisions in your life when you're too mad, too sad or too glad. Mm -hmm. So the mad and sad needs to be dealt with and so the mediation and counselling everybody needs counselling because at the end of the day nobody gets gets married to get divorced and so there's going to be a lot going on yeah there is and you see then it can be used as punishment you know you're not paying me maintenance so you're not seeing the kids and all that can just prolong things make things a lot more expensive I'm very difficult. Like if there are children involved at the end of the day, you're going to be linked to this person forever with all of those moments in the child's life. And if you're going to be dreading every one of those because of what went on with your separation, divorce, then it's it's a really difficult way to live because they should be joyous moments for the children and the children are affected by it. You know, before we go further into it, is there a reason if it was sort of a we both agree this isn't working. We both agree on custody. It's very sort of amicable. Is there any reason to get divorced? What's the actual? Well, yes, because you're you've told the state that this person is your person. Yes. You know? Okay. So your next of kin, the person that switches off your machine, is a very joyously. But you know that, and and they also have the inheritance rights, and and that doesn't sit well for people. So you know, people get separated informally first they drift apart and this has happened and then suddenly they wake up and they kind of go Jesus you know I I need to move forward with this and then they move into the formal zone which can be the mediated agreement or the judicial separation or divorce and like that needs to happen because otherwise the person can inherit from you the legal right share or 
you know, they are the person that is consulted and that might not sit well and wouldn't sit well with most people because they're like, sure, I haven't seen that person in 15 years. Why would they be consulted? Yes. Okay. Because that's the law. So you would. So the issues that need to be dealt with in in every separation or divorce is, you know, the assets of the marriage. If there are, there's maintenance and with pension. The, and is all so we'll get into all those things. So the assets of the marriage, the pension. The what is your right like as a let's say as a wife what is your right to your other half's pension yes. or so so <coughs> it, it, it depends <laughs> it's it's how long the relationship is so and what else so everything goes into the pot to come out of the pot okay. and it doesn't mean that it goes it's everything is 50 50 so there are many situations say where one spouse might retain a bigger share of the family home in exchange for walking away from the pension on the other person. So it depends and every situation is different. And there so what does it depend on? So it depends on, say, how long the marriage, say if you're if you're married to a guard, for example, and they were 15 years in the forest before they got married and the marriage is 10 years and, you know, there's a 40 year service. Well, you'd only be t- entitled to 50 percent of the 10 years, not okay. the, not the t- 15 years before they met you, you know. Mm-hmm. So that is, I suppose, people, people, I suppose, misunderstand what their entitlements are. So it's 50 percent of the wealth they accrued while you were married, while you were married for the duration of the marriage. And so there is big disparities. There can be big disparities between people's income. And if there are children, then somebody might have given up their career um, to look after the children. But so does li- that person get paid more then? Well, you know, we live in a very different world to when divorce came in first, where we would have had traditional um, homemakers and th- that weren't working. But now there, most people are working or can work, or can get part time work while the children are younger. And there would be an emphasis. And I think judges do like to see you trying to get back to work. And like we have a very strong employees market at the moment. It's very difficult to go into a judge and saying, I need maintenance for me because I'm not working. It's like, why? Why aren't you working? I'm I'm a working mother. You know, that's what if the, the argument is like it? Well, if I work, I won't be able to make the amount of money it costs to get childcare while, for a while I'm working. Yeah, and that'll last for a little while. There is a window, then the child will go to school and part-time work is available. Okay, And yeah. I know it's not, but there there is the the view that you will be going back to work. And it's, it's a long life, please God, but you maintain a spouse for life or until they die. So that's a lot for the, the person who is maintaining them. And is it not flexible? Like I'll pay, you'll, you maintain your, the pay, like the other parent who's not working because they're minding the children until the children are 14 and then this, you know, and then when the, like, or is it just a kind of a blanket? Are these things ever re-looked at, I guess? I'm yes, asking. they are. For maintenance, you can always um, come back and look at it because everybody's circumstances change there could be a redundancy and saying I can't afford that any longer or you know those kind of things are a windfall and so maintenance is always variable and you can go back and renegotiate it but there there won't be I don't think anymore there's no acceptance that you can't go out and contribute it's so it's not the same You're, you can't just get your other half to maintain you for yeah forever. and I don't think it's realistic either to kind of say oh that'll only be for 10 years because 10 years time you're 10 years older like you're 10 years out of longer out, out of the workplace yeah. what can you do and you're setting a precedent and it, as a solicitor I would be reluctant to advise my client to agree to something like that you know so um, things things have changed in in the last 20 years in that respect so what is generally like what are the most common pain points I guess between couples on like you're asking for this and I think that's unreasonable and is it mainly money and assets yeah it's, it is and that's what's very hard about it that's why I say it's a kind of who's going where with what it's it's almost a commercial agreement with the whole pile of emotion Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, entangled there. So that's why we try to remove the 
emotion. And like it's different to other jurisdictions where you can get divorced in five minutes. Well, not quite, but very quickly. And I don't think that's the best situation either, because I don't think you come out of a really rash decision better. Yeah. You know, so so we do have the, the dust settles and it is um, it is better for people, but it's still they're lengthy, lengthy delays. Yeah, so talk to us about the, the time, how long it takes and each phase in that time. So starting from like, I want a divorce. So coming to me, I want a divorce and mediation hasn't worked. Come to me, I instruct a barrister and the barrister drafts the proceedings. I take down the details of your marriage and I t- take down the details of the the breakdown of the marriage. So just the reason we want to get a divorce. Yes. Yeah. And you can go into in as much or as little detail of that as possible. I encourage people to leave it fairly neutral because the more inflammatory it is, the more difficult that's going to be for the other person to read that and they're going to go, that's not the reason we split up. It's this, that and the other. And it becomes a tit for tat and you're kind of like, that's not what needs to be dealt with here, you know. So but then again, it's not always possible because there could be some really awful behaviour within the marriage, which is the reason for the breakdown of it. And you may want the court to take that into account. So but know, I mean, every situation the court is, is always going to approve it. Like, uh, does the court ever say, no, you're not allowed to get divorced? No. No. Yeah. Okay. Well, but there has been situations where people have said or where the, where the question is asked. And is there any prospect of reconciliation? And I know a colleague of mine who asked that question and the person in the witness box goes, well. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like one of the. Didn't get divorced, you know, because you have to you have to confirm these. These are these are statutory obligations. So uh, so that was. But yeah, no, they they it is very rare for someone to say, oh, no, we weren't living separate and apart for those two years. At that yes, stage, okay. people are ready to deal with the issues. Yeah. And the issues are the house, the, the maintenance, the pension and those kinds of ordinary things and access. And uh, so that's what happens. So you come to me and then we 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 I get the barrister to draft the proceedings again. I kind of prefer my style is kind of let's deal with the issues rather than just say, gee, that's desperate stuff like mm-hmm. that we're going to, you know, vendetta. Or, um, so that's the starting off and it's called a family law civil bill. And it's kind of like I call it my side of the story because the legal stuff is kind of difficult for people. And that's backed up by an affidavit of means or statement of means. And that sets out your assets, liabilities, income and expenditure. And that's the kind of financial picture. And then so your assets are like how much money you have, basically, or yeah. properties or whatever. Your liabilities, how much debt you have. Yes. Uh, what, what else did you say? Your there? income. Your income. And your expenditure. Okay. And right. So is that all, like is that as detailed as like when you're getting a mortgage where they want to be like, what was that ten euro to Paddy Power? That's the two forty four for your TV license. Oh Everything my God. must okay. go into it. <laughs> and like it's a painful document. And I do say like that is homework, and you need to study that now really hard because that's what it's all about. It's the financial stuff. And if you forget stuff that is a one off payment for a year and it's not there, it doesn't then what's going to come out the other end doesn't reflect it. And that's so why this is a, this, So you, you're, you're putting up your expenditure to be like, this is how much money I spend and therefore this is how much money I need from you. Yes. But like, do you're, are you putting in there like, well, I spend 600 euro a month on the gym. Like yes. Is, is that really Absolutely. a liability for someone else? Well, that goes in for now because it's the here and now. The affidavit of means is your the financial picture today. Okay. And then if there isn't, because that's what's the problem. We have the same income that went into one household now has to do two households. And exactly, is the gym really necessary? That's if the thing, like, no wouldn't money? you be sickened like if you were divorcing someone and they wanted you to pay for their gym? Oh, yeah. You'd be like, no, pay for your own gym. I know. And health insurance is another one, but that's, you know, a benef- benefit. But things can get forensic when you see people spending patterns. Now, it's not as common now but you used to really get into bank statements and saying, you know, and if there's new partners al- 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 along and there's lots of oh, spending like on Victoria's Secrets. I mean, it's just the stuff where it's red rag to a bull, you know. And so is that, would that all come to light during this affidavit of means or? Yeah. So the affidavit of means has to be vouched by both, by um, by all parties. So, so vouched 12 months before you start proceedings. That's when you, um, that's how far back you go. 
and you can't go back further unless you show cause to the, the court because okay. they don't like fishing expeditions of like oh five years ago yeah but you know whatever yes. a, a yacht <laughs> so and so is like is that the point at which they'd be fighting over the Victoria's Secrets yes okay so we'll because they want it omitted yes and well also if it was like well I always knew you were having an affair or something like that that could come out of it you know okay so you do but it, the, the point of the vouching is that you do a deal based on full and full disclosure and if somebody doesn't disclose something then that deal can be set aside so you you vouch everything and it is based I suppose on on everybody being full and frank about everything so the affidavit of means goes with your side of the story, your family loss of a bill. And if there are children, then you also have to file an affidavit of welfare, which sets out you, the children, if there if there are children, you only do this if there are children. And you tell the court, I suppose, on affidavit where the kids are. Are they in school? How's their health? How's your health? What's the arrangements about access? What's the arrangements ar- around maintenance? So and is it possible that the arrangements, so say you're separated for two years, the arrangements around access in those two years are not what you want them to be when you get divorced? There's questions in that and said, do you want these to change? OK, and yeah. say yes. And so that's that's all your side of it done, or say my side of it. So we're getting divorced. So that's my side of it. And then that goes to you. It's filed in court and then it goes to your your solicitors. And your solicitors would then enter what's called an appearance, which means we're going to answer this. And then you have to send me your affidavit of means, again, has to be vouched, and your affidavit of welfare and your defence to what I have said. So you will be saying, yeah, yeah, we got married on such a day, blah, blah, blah. Yes, agreed with that. And then it's like, no, the reason the marriage broke down is because you did whatever. And does that matter at that it, point? It does it doesn't, matter? and that well, it shouldn't. But it again, if there are, it's behaviour that the, you want the court to take into account. Like, say, if there are orders, say, if you had um, a problem or you spent all the money and you weren't working because you didn't want to work, then you would want that to to be taken into account because you'd say I have I bear the financial burden and I always have because you've been working sporadically or you know or you've been drinking and abusive all that kind of thing might be relevant but if it's you know bog standard <laughs> bog standard but you know that isn't going to be helpful for the other person to read if it's it, like we have the same issues to deal with so I try to convince people to just don't put it in if we do really don't need it um, so so then that so it's after you get the defence and the other person's affidavit of means and affidavit of welfare then you're in a position to maybe meet for a settlement and you'd meet down in the four courts now it used to be the the circuit family court but since COVID you can't um, meet there as we used to so you meet in the in the four courts and the Barristers and solicitors know what the issues are. It's the house, it's the maintenance, it's the fam- or it's the access, and it's the pension. Mm-hmm. So, what do you say about that? And see, can we agree? If we agree, then we reduce it to writing, and they're called terms of settlement, which are signed on that day. And then we think, right, great, of my deal done. That's a binding agreement. But it is always subject to the judge approving it, because the judge has discretion to interfere with something if they don't think it is the right deal. Say but if, if you the said, both parties have said like, yeah, no, I'm happy enough with this, why would a judge come in and be like, you shouldn't be happy with this, you should be getting more? Well, say for example, and I, I have acted in these cases where they one party feels very guilty about the breakdown of the relationship and they're saying, no, I don't, look, you can have the house, you know, and they had nowhere to live. Yeah. You know, like that isn't ideal either. But would you not, as a solicitor and barrister, when you all meet in the forecourts, not advise your client, like, no, you can't give away the house? Here. Oh, yeah, I would. And I was saying, listen, I'm here, it's like this because yeah. I've told you this. But, you know, ultimately, I do as, I, as I'm instructed. instructed and yeah. as long as I give the advice, it's fine. But then I would also say, this is subject to a judge ruling this. And the judge might interfere with it and might say, well, why are you doing this or what is that? But by and large, if the parties have gone to the bother of instructing solicitors and the solicitors 
you know, our experienced solicitor is in family law, then the judge won't interfere with it. But mm-hmm. they do have to exercise the discretion. And like there are three courts in Dublin, uh, three judges sitting every day and like they know. So they read those papers that I've just talked about, the civil bail and the defence, and they, they have a look at the affidavits that are filed. So before you go in, they have a, a view of the, the they have a background of the marriage and the financial picture and the welfare picture of the parties. So ideally you go in then to rule it and the judge rules it and then you're divorced. So the person who's applying goes into the box and gives de- details of the date they got married. They confirm this is their marriage certificate, which will have been filed in court. And then they confirm the date they separate it and they will be talked through the terms of their settlement. This is what you've agreed and you tell the judge and you're happy that that is proper provision. Yes, are you happy that there's no prospect of reconciliation? The answer to that is yes, if you want to get a divorce. <laughs> and so that's that's it. Then you get your divorce. And But if there is no settlement, so if you meet for a settlement meeting and there's no settlement, there's no agreement, then you apply for this case progression, which you can go into the county registrar who if you if you, for example, if you believe that somebody is hoarding um, and or hasn't disclosed something, you would might look for a discovery of financial documents and that sort so of thing. So in that affidavit means you think, oh, well, he has another pension that he hasn't mentioned. Yes, I know yeah. for a fact and I remember that and blah, blah, blah. So then you'd look for orders of discovery and that could that could again it lengthens your case but it's important because we are trying to to decide what's proper provision and so that's a you get all of that then you get a hearing date so you get a hearing date for the 10th of June you rock up on the 10th of June and you will be in a list and you could be the second third in the list it's it's rare you'd be first on the list on the on your first time getting mm-hmm. a hearing date and you're down there really as a solicitor, you're down there to do business, although it's probable you won't get on because, because the, the, case, first case the first case is going go to go in. But then again, being the first case, it's kind of like, are we, we better try and settle this. But anyway, so you're down there anyway, not to waste the day. You go down and you try and agree what's what has to be agreed. And it takes that time for people to actually get focused on what the issues are. So sorry, this is now you're down there on the 10th of June. You've oh. already met in the four courts and, like, didn't work. and it didn't work. And so now you've been called and your case could be on that day. Yes. And you guys are still trying to reconcile. We're still trying to settle it. Like up until you walk in. like Up until you walk in. Okay. And it's even, it, it could be that you have the majority of it settled. But it's one sticking point. But it's point like, or, you know, she wants three nights overnight and I only want to get two nights or it could be a net point of the equity in the house or something like that. You could go in like you would be trying to agree as much as you can, because if you think about it and it makes sense, you know, it's fairly risky stuff. There's a risky strategy to go in and just let the the judge decide. Yeah, let roll the dice, you know, and because they have a very very busy schedule and they have you know maybe three four hours to dedicate and that's that's on a good day to to hear the evidence and to go through it and you know like they could just not like the look of you yeah or I just didn't like that and was kind of like how do you mean you're not doing this and like oh god the children know about this the children shouldn't know about this and some judges really go nuts if if they hear that the children have been brought or told something inappropriate about these proceedings. So family law proceedings are in camera, which means that they are private and it should be just the parties and their legal advisors. And if, so if there is legal pair. documents left around for the kids to see, you know, you'll expect a problem when a judge hears that sort of stuff. So like they good. don't want one parent playing the kids off, all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, parent alienation, alienation, it's very common, you know. And um, and it's very difficult to deal with and it makes the dealing with the other stuff very, very difficult. 
taking a break from the show to tell you about our sponsor humdingermortgages.ie your new gaff without the faff humdinger are an award-winning mortgage brokerage and they specialize in finding the right mortgage for you the best part is that you deal with the broker and they deal with every major bank in the irish market so you don't have to trawl around talking to loads of people they also make the best recommendation on what's the best way to proceed for you specifically and they stay at your side to help you at every step of the way from application to drawing down your mortgage they're in the mortgage business right not the application business they have absolutely no interest in putting you through the ringer and getting you to fill out loads of forms without getting a mortgage at the end and they're really honest from the get-go about what the problems might be with your application but then they don't abandon you they will stay by your side and give you the best advice on how to make sure that you are successful the next time you apply they specialise in helping first-time buyers people looking to trade up and people like me who are looking to save ourselves some money by switching our mortgage for a better rate and like for me I'm going to switch my mortgage I'm working with Humdinger because like a reduction of even 0.5% on my mortgage rate can save me like 30 grand in interest over the whole term of my mortgage Mortgages are the biggest financial decision you are ever going to make so take advantage of speaking to experts and go to humdingermortgages.ie to begin your journey So while I have you, I'm going to take the opportunity to um, take you hostage for a minute and tell you about the merchandise that we are selling. We have notebooks and pens, which are branded with the basically branding and you should buy them. You should buy them because it's a lovely notebook. Who doesn't need a notebook? If you are a Headstuff podcast member, if you buy the notebook, you get the pen for free. It supports me. It supports the podcast. It supports the producers, the people who work on the show and means that we can continue to make these podcasts and give them to you for free. If you want to become a Headstuff podcast member, if you get a lot from the podcast and you think, God, I'd like to support Stephanie and the podcast, you can become a Headstuff podcast member for €5 Euro plus that. Uh, or you can give more if you want to. Go to headstuffpodcast.com and you can click register there and you pick a podcast. You can pick up to three podcasts. If you pick three podcasts, what happens there is that the €5 Euro that you're giving gets split between the three podcasts that you're supporting. Or you can pick just one podcast, say you pick my podcast, then you'll get my bonus material for free and all of the bonus material for all of the other podcasts on the network. So it's a really, really good deal. Five euro, all of these special podcasts. So if you want to do that, do it. I'll be very, very grateful. The people who are in the community, the Headstuff podcast members are my favourite people. They support the podcast. They mean that you can listen to this podcast for free. It's five euro a month. I'm going to stop talking now, but I really appreciate your support. Thank you. Oh, and also, if you cannot afford to support the podcast, but you want to support the podcast, you can also give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a good review or share the podcast with two other people. That's it. Just send the podcast to two other people who will listen to it, who you think will benefit from it. That helps to get our listeners up, which helps us get sponsorship. It's all how it works. And uh, yeah, I'd be really grateful if you do that too. Bye. While I have you, I want to tell you about another podcast on the network that I think you might enjoy. Sissy That Pod. So if you like RuPaul's Drag Race, you're going to love this podcast. Sissy That Pod serves up Drag Race recaps for the UK, US and All-Star series of RuPaul's Emmy Award winning show. Not only that, but the host James and Kean, they also cover Drag Race spin-off shows for their Headstuff Plus bonus episodes. So if you're a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race, then this is the show to subscribe to. Have a little listen. My name is Keen, And I'm James. And we host Sissy That Pod. Sissy That Pod is a fun, informative and comprehensive companion podcast into the world of the queer and colourful cultural behemoth that is RuPaul's Drag Race. Join us every week as we cover the current season of the show, All Star 7, through the eyes of two queer Irish fans. Or scour through our back catalogue wherever you get your podcasts or on headstuffpodcast.com to check out the other seasons we've covered. But for now, start your engine. It's time to crown an ultimate queen. And so in the case where you're there, case number one has been resolved and you're case number two and you're in, what happens in that? You could say, Judge, we have, we are at the net issues. Could you give us half an hour? And the judge will give you half an hour. But if you're not resolved, you know, if you're not nearly there or then you could go in and say, okay, Judge, we have it, we have it settled. We're now going to put it in writing. And the judge will allow you that time to do that because that's great. And the judge is really grateful for that, that the parties have become to, come to an agreement because obviously an agreement is much better than something that's imposed on you. And say they don't. In that case, the judge hears, like, could you say, look, we're agreed on everything except this one issue. And then he'll say, right, tell me about that issue. And he'll just judge on that. Yes. Or do you have to do the whole case? 
Well, you can say you can give them what has been agreed because the judge again will want to know that because they have to exercise their discretion as to say whether they think they are in agreement with it and then they will decide that other issue. And So say the, the case is like he wants them three nights a week overnight and I only want him to have them two nights a week overnight. The judge, like what are the factors? Like what will the judge listen to to make that decision? Probably they at that stage we will have known that access is a problem and there will be what's called a section 47 report that report the, from the um, psychologist. psychologist. So this is how, this is how then, many nights the child wants to stay. Yeah, yes and there are, there are how many nights that the psychologist has recommended and it may be that it's going to go in on a phased basis where it's the parent has gone for two years and there has been no overnight access. So what would be done there is that you do it on a phased basis. But, you know, access is contentious and there seems to be like, isn't the standard now on a Wednesday and every second weekend? And it's kind of like it's no standard and people shouldn't be looking to a standard. It's like children normally see you seven days a week. And then they're expected to kind of just say, oh, it's every second weekend. Like that's very difficult on a child. So that's why I would try and empower parents and saying what works for you? You know what the activities are. Can you take them to football? So they see the parents as much as possible. And if kids see you working stuff out, like that makes them so much better. You know, how much does all of this cost and how long are we talking? If like the longest ones where every like let's talk about the longest one where everyone has an issue and every at every point. Yeah, that's very expensive, and I suppose it's a piece of string. And it's are, are there are there um, multiple applications? So it's it's all on time. So it's the solicitor's time. But like consent matters, and that's why I'm always trying to push consent because they're so efficient. They're such like we have free mediation in the country. Why wouldn't you go and use it? But like if you, free mediation, and as you say, is like is is backlogged. Could I say to you, like, I want a divorce and you say go and do mediation and I don't get an appointment for mediation for six or seven months? Yes, but you could go to a private mediator. OK, and, and how much is that costing? So I, I don't, I'm not, um, I don't not do the private, private, private mediator I am, but I, I don't do that. Um, so I think they are like that could be 200 euro an hour or something like that. Mm-hmm. But what's good about it is that, you know, you can't agree that and you haven't spent a bag of money on it, you know, or if you do get agreement, isn't that great? And okay. then you go to a solicitor and you get your um, terms. And again, it's on time, but it's very, it's very economical on a consent basis. And then, you know, it can be anywhere from two and a half grand to, you know, 20 grand you could be spending on that. On, on, on a divorce. On a divorce. Yeah, yeah, with your barrister as well. And, and it's mad money. Like who's got that? Because Sorry, everybody has to read two and a half to twenty with just your solicitor and the same for your barrister. Or well, for, no, not no, the no, same no. for the barrister. It's the barrister would be can be you know from two and a half to ten grand or more. It, it depends on the case if it's if there's lots of assets, if there's businesses complications. And who pays that? Everybody pays their own. So like if we're going to mediation, you and I, you pay equally. We each pay hundred euro an yeah. hour. Okay. Yeah. So it's good. It's good to see what are the issues. And then like I'm I'm not I'm kind of half talking myself out of a job here. But, you know, it's it's great. Agreement is brilliant for everybody, but it's not for everybody, especially if there's the mad and sad or at a 10. You need yes, the emotions yeah. to be at six. But does the thing. fact that you have to be separated from two years mean that like that gives that mad, sad and glad situation time to... But mad and sad if you're living in the same house isn't great. Okay, you know, yes, so that yeah. can be, you know, compounding can be twenty. Yes, okay. <laughs> you know, so it depends. Everybody's case is different, and it really is. But they are the, the, the but the issues are the same. It's like family. Who's going where with what? How are we going to live? How can I buy a house? And is the situation like the best if people can? either with the mediator or just like through their own I don't know magnanimity just say okay this is what we're going to do and then come to you and go I want a divorce we've already agreed this is what's going to be brilliant that's the most efficient way that absolutely is and I've had many of those and they're great but I understand then that it's difficult to navigate and I'm delighted to to help you navigate that and what happens if someone in that say okay me and Noel are getting a divorce we've agreed these terms will you organise it and then Noel goes to his new solicitor and the new solicitor goes here you're giving away way too much here 
like do, can those terms ch- how at what point is it binding and you can't go back and say like actually I don't want to do this it's binding when you've had legal advice okay and yeah the, the other solicitor can say ah here that's thing but you know again we just do as we're instructed but it is subject to a judge being happy that the terms reflect and that you are, do provide proper provision for everybody and because it's constitutional like you you have a constitu- a constitutional right to it is what happens if you want to get a divorce and you don't have two and a half to 20 grand like is there a free yeah so there is free legal aid do take on people and they have a qualification you can look at their website for the um the how you qualify for that and um it's lots lots of people are against me on on the free legal aid so but again so where one partner would have free legal aid yes yes okay but again it's like you could be assessed and saying yes you you have been assessed and you are approved and your appointment is in 10 12 months time your appointment for what for the court case or for the to see the solicitor oh wow okay yeah so that's what's very tough you know so So that's why I kind of encourage people to get moving get moving can there be agreement no then get to a solicitor and so if there can be agreement and you can't afford a solicitor where do you go there like can you I mean there are DIY divorces I don't recommend them because they are fine if there is nothing in the marriage as in if they don't there's no property there's no pensions there's you know no children but they're not great if there are issues because for pensions say for example you need pension adjustment orders which are orders directed to the trustees saying this is what happens if that person if there's a death in service or on retirement and you need those orders to be done right and uh, you know they are complicated and if you were to do one of the DIY ones do you still have to be in front of a judge yes and so would that come through like do you pay for that there is yeah you do pay for the DIY divorce I don't know how much it is because because obviously (laughs) you're not part of the DIY package no but um yeah, I'm just kind of wondering, like, if you're stuck in a marriage and you don't have the financial ability to get out of it. Yeah, it's st- very difficult. It's People fair. do it themselves. and well, In a DIY way. Well, or even themselves and just going down to the court office and looking for the documents, the kind of precedent documents and do it themselves. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it because, like, these are final orders generally. And, like, you need to have somebody that has your back. And I understand that it's a difficult situation. But if you go into a judge and you've done it yourself and you haven't done it correctly, would he be like, this isn't like... you? Yeah, but at the end of the day, the judge is not, you know, the legal advisor there. They will say, look, I'm not happy with that. I think you should go to a solicitor or, um, you know, I'm not going to approve that order or something like that. Yes, they would. But, you know, there are there are cases where uh, people are have moved on and it is a consent they've done their separation and they don't decide they decide not to instruct a solicitor and saying look I'm not getting a solicitor and as the respondent so as the, the person applying for the divorce has a solicitor and the person who's responding and the respondent they're called they don't have a solicitor and they just rock up on the day and they say yeah I consent to that and that's that's perfectly fine because you're only rubber stamping the earlier orders from okay. separation but generally you don't see many people as lay litigants doing it. Is there a guide of things that are unreasonable to ask for that people seem to think from watching? Like, how much influence does TV have on what people think divorce is? And, like, how many times do you have to say to clients that's not actually how it works? Like, you don't, you can't do that. Yeah, people think that there is, like, how much How much is the child? Right, what's the standard for the child? Okay. Yes, okay. Because the UK have a, have a system where it's a percentage of the income. And that's it's straight, right? What do you we mean? Like because you have a child, you pay twenty percent of income to yeah, the child, or whatever. That's what it is. So, so there's a bit of certainty. We don't have that system, so, so we have in the district court, the circuit court is by the way is where you get divorced. So the district court is your local court, and say they might have gone to get a maintenance order, and the maximum um, that can be done at the district court is one hundred and fifty euro per child, and five hundred for the uh, spouse. So. 
they might kind of go, oh God, so what's the maximum for, for, for children? It's like, it's not that. It's on the, it's on the ability to pay and, and the needs of the, ch- the children, you know? So it's what they need. Do they need ballet, piano, all of that? And who so, decides, like, is that a need or? Well, the judge will if it's, if it's, if it needs to be decided. If you can't get that sorted, the judge will decide it very quickly because they will say, no, you need food on the table is a priority and you need to be able to pay the rent or the second mortgage or whatever their priorities all that other stuff and one thing i do find is that people can't seem to process that math that that arithmetic math, arithmetic in that all of that money went into one house and now it needs to go to two houses there is going to be a drop in yeah. standard of living and it's a, it's a huge drop and like in Dublin, where you're looking at rent and the pressure zones of rent and you can't get a house and all of those are very real when it comes to separating and divorcing. So what if when you get to the divorce, you're still living in the same house? I had that once a couple, um, but it's not very common. The idea is that you would be living separately. But as you say, like, what if you can't? Like there are, I heard on the radio, it's like there's 400 places to rent in Dublin you know like it is quite difficult and if the let's say one of the partners has to move out to rent like a little flat or something that is going to impact how much maintenance they can pay like is the judge sympathetic to that? Yes so that's what you would be looking at in those affidavits you'd be like okay so this is the current situation so I would be telling my client you need to go and find a place to rent and tell me what that is and show me prove it that that's what the rent is in wherever you're going to rent but like you can't be renting in a you know in the in the huge like where it's two and a half grand for one bed you know yes, you have yeah, to yeah. everyone has to cut their cloth so and again if you were to buy a house I, I tell everyone go to a broker like almost on day one I say you need to see what your buying power is we need to see what your mortgage there's no point at a, having a deal done and, and it's in hope Mm-hmm. Like, let's have it researched. So how much can you borrow and what can you buy with that? So what will you need from the equity in the in the family home in order to get you there? So it's we, we try to plug holes and get certainty around this. So the person is going off with a plan. OK, the sale of the family home, by the way, is hugely emotive and people are devastated at the thoughts of it. Because they want like someone to buy like, someone out or something. Yeah, and they want to stay there forever and it's like it's important, it's all the memories for the kids. And I find that some people have signed up to crazy financial obligations for like 30 year mortgages and the kids are gone in 10 years and you've got this big house. So be, like it's very hard to let go of it. But then sometimes when it's out of your control, it can be the best thing that happens to you, you know. So you sell that house and you guys have to try and buy two houses. Yes. Which is really Definitely. like in this market, like. That's what's so hard. And but it's it's invariably out of where you were. Mm-hmm. And it's to see, can you stay local enough so the kids aren't disrupted with their schools and things like that. So that's why it all has to be juggled. And that's why I'm saying there's no standard there's no standard family. There's no standard family agreement. But they're the kind of things, the movables that you need to figure out. You know, where are the kids in school? And like they're in fourth class. So moving them would be huge. Maybe we'll postpone the sale of the house until they're finished secondary. Those kind of things mm-hmm. can happen. And then what happens in the meantime? And then the house is sold when you've done the leaving. And it's what's the split? So if it's a deferred sale, they it would be a more even split than a higher split for the for the person who's maintaining the children or the primary carer. And what if the one of the parents doesn't live in Ireland anymore or doesn't like are you allowed during a separation to say there are kids and like the parents are splitting it's a heteronormative family so like mother father father leaves to go to Spain I don't know has a new wife I don't what not a wife obviously but like yeah. has a new partner like will a judge say you need to move back to Ireland because you need to be here on Wednesday and every second weekend. No, but obviously there'd be maintenance would be higher there because the mother would have the financial responsibility for the children all the time. And her, I suppose, ability to to get a full time job is 
is impacted by that. So so all of that feeds into the money. Okay. And um, but it, that is rare as well. Like we're normally dealing with people that are around that are living around. But there are play, there are cases where there is a reluctance to take up access and which does impact on the on the primary carer because it's like you never showed up and I had to do it and I can't do uh, go for a walk myself because I have to do the pickups and I have to do the drop offs. And in and that case, would a judge like would you like is there ever a situation where you, you go against what you've just said and say like, look, we're just going to let a judge decide this because you guys obviously can't come to agreement. And absolutely, you know, and, and that's and that's as long as everybody knows that that's like rolling the dice and, you know, a judge gets, you know, an hour of that picture and they're going to make a decision that you're going to have to live with. And then my final question is, so say that judge says, yeah, well, I don't care what you want. You have to pick your kids up from school on a Wednesday and a Thursday and you have to have them every second weekend. And everyone says, OK, well, a judge says it, so it has to happen. What happens then if that's not what happens? I'm complied with. Yes. So there's a breach of the order and it, that can happen where one party doesn't want to give them the access as well. So you're hauled back into court and you have to explain why you haven't complied with it. And the judge will say to you then, like, this is a court order. And if you don't comply with court orders, I can send you to prison. Okay. So but does that ever really happen? I've seen it happen once with a mother that was reluctant to give um, the dad access and she was sent to prison. Does that mean the dad pregnant. had... F- she was pregnant? She was pregnant. Does, does the dad have full access then in that case? Well, she was only sent to prison for like a few days. Right, okay. And I don't say only sent to prison for a few <laughs> no, days. Yeah, but, but, you know, it was kind of like you can't, you can't, there can't be complete disregard for court orders, you know. Wow, okay. So what we've learned is try and get as much agreement ahead yeah. of time if you can. That'll cost you less money. If you're going to do it publicly, it's going to take a long time, which is unfortunate. But mediation seems to be Yes, mediation and go to a family law solicitor with these matters. Don't go to just any solicitor. Oh, yeah. Okay. Somebody who knows what they're talking about. So because different solicitors have different like specialties or yeah. or, or none. Yes. Or generally, you know, that's not good because you need to know the, the person needs to know how to navigate this. OK. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's sort of grim. But good to know and good information to have. Hilary, if people want to find you, I know that on Instagram you give other legal tips um, about workers' rights and different things. Where can they find you? Yes, so um, my practice is in Swords, but it's Leahy Wade uh, as my website and Hilary O'Connor Solicitor is my Instagram handle. Thank you so much for joining me. Delighted, thanks. And thank you for listening to another episode of Basically. Uh, our music is by Only Ruin. Our graphic design is by Kahlo O'Gara. We are produced by Julie Hassett and we are part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. See you next week. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.